Hi, it's Cammy Chris Kamara, and you are listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. They are unbelievable. Good afternoon, good morning, and good evening from wherever you're listening from. Welcome to episode 56 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast, the only active Wakefield Trinity podcast worldwide. I am your co-host, Jim Robinson, and joining me as ever is my co-host, my dad, Lee Robinson. How are we doing, Dad? Hello, all good stuff. The season's finished, putting our feet up, and Trinity survived, so we're all uh, happy and dandy and uh, clappy-clappy at the moment. Uh, this week, we talked to a good mate of ours, a fellow rugby league nut, who has a lifetime of experience in the rugby league game, and a coaching CV that's taken him from Featherstone Lions all the way to the NRL, with stops off at Trinity and France along the way. This week, we welcome Richard Agar. Richie, thanks for joining us, mate. 56 episodes, boys. You're doing well there, aren't you? No. <laughs> right. right. on air after 56 episodes. You must be doing somewhat, somewhat right. Yeah, yeah. Good that the train survived. I think uh, I think when Toulouse got the form, there were uh, a period that I thought, oh, gee, they've got to, got to pick the game up a bit here. But as always, as I say about St. Helens, you should never write off the train, particularly in a relegation scrap. <laughs> uh, and I think they would have settled for finishing above Warrington at the start of the year, wouldn't they? Definitely so, mate. Definitely so. T- tell us about we're just having a chat briefly off air, mate. What have you been doing today? I see you've been cutting the grass with your little tractor and everything. Yep, currently unemployed. So, um, as always, got a list of jobs what I have to do around the house. So, yeah, been for a uh, bit of exercise this morning and then on my, on my little sit down this afternoon, chugging along with my iTunes on. That's, that's about as good as it gets at the moment. But uh, yeah, rest won't do us any harm. Can't before the storm. I've got obviously got a busy period coming up, and uh, yeah, looking forward to it. What's on the playlist, mate? What have you been listening to? Uh, just shuffling today, just shuffling so bits of everything, and I mean bits of everything as well. Yeah, spot on, mate. So obviously, you mean you've had you've had a huge career all your life playing and coaching, but we always start with the Wakefield Trinity-based question, Rich. So what, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you heard the words Wakefield Trinity? Um, honestly, Jamie, and I am saying this because it's a Wakefield Trinity podcast, uh, you know, I, I've, I've experienced ups and downs in rugby league, which I think when you've been in it as long as I have, uh, is quite natural. Uh, I've had some good moments. Uh, I think the first year at Wakefield would, would be... Um, Above the probably the most enjoyable one of the most enjoyable years certainly from a coaching perspective difficult to compare it to to, to playing because uh, I had some great enjoyment in, in the times at Dewsbury there um, but probably most enjoyable year in my coaching career my first year at Wayfield uh, spirit is the word what what if I were going to say a, a word what springs to mind is spirit um, you know the spirit that the team I coached had. Uh, were tremendous spirit around the club you know guys like yourselves that are uh, obviously got careers outside of it but you know the time and love and effort you put into doing things like this the guys that volunteer in and around the ground uh, the supporters that have been through so many ups and downs particularly since they got into Super League what it'd be 20 22 seasons is it is that what it is 24 we're going into our 25th 24 25 seasons you know it's been a fair old roller coaster that one Uh, but you know they've got a real the words I've used before is indomitable spirit about them as a club and um, you know they keep 
surviving after you know plenty of knockbacks, but um, they always sort of seem to find a way to, to get through it and get through the other side. So uh, spirit is one word that I would definitely associate uh, with the club and, and you know when I walk coach, I think because you know I like sort of looking to the history of the clubs and stuff like that, and I think the history of Wakefield is. Um, you know, right up there when you look at the team that they had from, you know, from the, what, through the 60s, really. I was going to say from the early 60s to mid 60s, but, you know, Neil Fox, Neil Fox's team, Ian Brooks' team, anybody that ever watches any old vision, uh, that particular uh, generation of players, uh, just out of this world, really. It, it compared with any era and any team in the game. Uh, and one of the great things is loads of them guys that are still around. Or, or until recently have still been around, are still massive supporters of the club and, and still attend as many games as they can. And, um, you know, I found personally, you know, we're really supportive of myself when I was, you know, when I was a coach there. Brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, those boys. It's a, it's a pleasure being a sort of historian and a bit of a rugby tragic looking after the Trinity history. Because back in the day, you know, in those 60s were the glory years. But like you say, Neil Fox, um, Ian Brook, Ken Rowling, Jeff Oaks, they still come now every week and had a, had a point to me before he passed away a few years yeah. ago. They had the regular seats, they never missed a game and they were still there 50 years after they'd done all the glory. Just great blokes and supportive. You know, the, the, the guys that had the most successful uh, period in the club's history, but they were, never, they were never ever about telling you what you should and shouldn't be doing or pontificating or, mm. uh, you know, knocking the, the the modern era again. They were just really, really supportive of, of the team all the time. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite a pleasure to be around, uh, a, a privilege and a pleasure to be able to class a lot of them blokes as, as sort of friends, really. Yeah, good stuff, mate. If I will come back to Trinity in a, in a little while, but tell us about this new role you've got with New Zealand Warriors. What can you What can you tell us? Um, yeah, not too much at the moment. I uh, obviously I went over uh, uh, to do mid-season tests for some more and work, work with Andrew Webster. Then um, you know I've known Andrew obviously through the game as you do. You know Andrew's been in the game a long time, had a terrific coaching journey, uh, and and I will say when I went over and and worked with this some, with the Samoan team, it was really obviously to me that you know within within two or three sessions and you know behind the scenes doing the video and. Watching him operate and listening, you know, I said to his brother James, that I think everybody knows, has, has worked alongside of me uh, through big portions of my career. Um, I said to James, he's you know he's, he's got head coach written all over him. Uh, and interestingly enough, yeah, a few weeks after that, I got a call from Andrew to say, look, uh, I'm in for one of these jobs. Well, if if you cash your mind back, I think there were three jobs going at the time. There were Canterbury, West Tigers, and, and Auckland. Sorry, New Zealand Warriors. I keep referring to them as Auckland Warriors. And New Zealand Warriors. And uh, he said, but I can't tell you any more than that. But if, you know, if I'm successful as a candidate, uh, do you want to join the coaching staff? I can't give you any more information than that right now. So it would have been well over a week till, till I heard again him, uh, till I heard from him again. So I'm sat at home thinking, well, you know, which one is it? Because I know he'd got an affiliation with, uh, West Tigers having been on the staff there before I thought that could be a possibility uh, so I sort of left left guessing and, and I, was, I was sort of going through a phase two where obviously I was contracted to go back into Leeds uh, which I just felt you know I, I felt that at, at the time you know wasn't right 
and and we're probably going to look different to to how we spoke about things in in the past. So, um, I was sort of quite excited by the opportunity. You know, you know, you guys came and met me when I worked at St George. It, yeah, I just loved working over there, loved living over there, loved working over there, and really didn't want to come on when I did, and and always wanted to go back. So, um, the timing uh, on a, on a I guess on a personal level or really good. So I just got my fingers and toes crossed really that uh, he got back in touch with me and and hopefully uh, an opportunity presented itself. Anyway, a week later, he just said, look, it's it's New Zealand. Uh, I'll know in the next sort of 48 hours uh, if I am, I guess, the successful candidate and, and I'm interested in coming. Uh, so, yeah, as is generally the case, mate, sometimes good and sometimes bad in rugby league. Uh, you know, all about the timing, really. So, uh, so yeah, I uh, I did a I did a overnight Skype interview uh, with the CEO and general manager of football, and subsequently, sort of a day later, offered me a offered me a position. So, I sort of some odds and ends to tie up the leads, and uh, and that's it, really. So, you know, Andrew's pretty busy at the moment because. Obviously, he's up to his neck in it with Penrith. Uh, you know, they're, they're obviously having a great season and he's coming down to the business end with the playoffs there. So he, he's sort of stepped off the New Zealand stuff for a little bit. Uh, Andrew McFadden's going in there as, uh, I think, as, as a football manager, general manager of football. And, uh, you know, I spoke with Andrew last week uh, about his role and about what's going on in England. Uh, and about the Warriors, and I've had a couple of you know I've had a couple of long, longer, in-depth conversations with Andrew, but uh, there's still a fair amount of I guess nuts and bolts to be put on exactly, uh, you know, w- what area and what what role I'll be doing, and uh, how you know how the staff's going to look when we you know when we get over there. So so all good. Been sort of trying to find myself a apartment to live in and understand the lie of the land a little bit. You know, I've never never been to New Zealand or Auckland, but I've got, got a ton of friends there, as you can imagine, um, over the years, what I've met during the game. So it'd be great, be great to catch up with a load of, a load of those people who are, are rugby league people and, and obviously working in the NRL. Um, yeah, dream come true, really. And you've just answered the next question. When we came to see you a few years ago, we flew off to Auckland to watch a game. Just had a weekend there. Yeah. What a wonderful city. And I was just going to ask you, have you had much experience of Auckland or New Zealand? But the answer is no. no unbelievable. Incredibly, no. So I've been to, you know, I've been to, I've lived in Australia twice and, and been, oh, okay, countless times, you know, probably 20 times. Uh, but considering I've got so many, you know, friends and acquaintances over the years, over there, uh, when St George, the year I was at St George when they went, um, I came home to see my children that week, and I missed I missed a week, so uh, so I never went, so I never went to Auckland. But uh, everybody tells me, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful country, great city to live in. Uh, it'd be a new experience for me living, you know, living in the middle of a city in a in a central business district, overlooking the water. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, I'm, I'm genuinely excited about, you know, the job, the people I'm going to be working with. I know it's been, uh, I know it's been a really tough prop for them over the last couple of years living away from home. But I think, you know, they've experienced 
what no one's ever really experienced in in the history of the game, really, with everything what went around the pandemic. But uh, yeah, obviously it's a fresh start for him and uh, something that you know personally, yeah, I can't, can't wait to get there. So rewind back to the start, Rich, mate. Obviously, it tells about growing up in Featherstone. Obviously, in a, in a rugby league environment, you've already mentioned uh, your dad as well. Massive upbringing for you. Yeah, yeah, very lucky. Grew up in and around the game. Uh, earliest memories of okay, you know, he, he played. You know, my formative memories are going to okay from oh, it would have been about seventy six up to his, his, you know, the old man's last game on nineteen eighty Challenge Cup final. Um, all the whole KR in front of you know a mini bus short of 100,000 people. Uh, so yeah, we still got his medals, still got the match ball from the game. He always got a match ball when he, he played in big games, and that's a, a tradition that I've managed to sort of uphold get my hands on a get my hands on the ball and get everybody to sign it. So, uh, yeah, growing up, I guess, along you know, alongside household names. Uh, that are sort of family friends. So, yeah, I, I, I guess lucky. And uh, my early memories are, you know, running in the changing rooms at OKR and sitting between my dad and Roger Millward because he used to sit next to him. Clive Sullivan were just at the other side of him. We'd help Jack Hunsworth, the old kit man, clean the, clean the changing rooms up, pick the old tie-ups off the floor. And, and you know, he, he's been lucky that throughout his career, um, you know, he played in a Jews team that won the championship. Won the championship and the Challenge Cup at OKR, won the Cup at Featherstone. So he's he's had some really, um, I guess, strong sides and strong memories. And out of them teams, uh, they're some of his you know closest closest friends and, and family friends that we've got throughout our lives. Really, you know, Nigel Stevenson uh, and, and Mick Stevenson, the two guys from Jewsville that still to this day, um, you know, we, we're in touch with him and like to see whenever we get the opportunity. Was it always a case for you that you're going to be involved in rugby league? Uh, yeah, probably not. I, I, I were extremely small at 16 year old. Didn't didn't grow um, to the point where I stopped playing. So so through uh, through my youth, really, I played rugby union. I went to a rugby union playing school. Played a lot of rugby union. Played football for a couple of years. Played played most sports. Played cricket. Uh, and obviously played rugby league, but at seventeen, when everybody grew and I didn't, I think I actually, I think I actually stopped playing for maybe a year, eighteen months, something like that. And then, uh, fortunately, I had a growth spurt about seventeen, eighteen, and went from five foot, five foot three or four up to sort of shot up to over six foot, and um, started back playing again at, at Travel Saints, as it was then. And Peter Bell was my coach, famous old junior coach, and and. Peter's, you know, you know, Peter, Peter coached a lot of Featherstone Rovers over the years and and obviously ended up getting signed on from there. But yeah, look, I didn't think uh didn't think I was a great player. What wasn't, I guess, athletically very gifted. Um but were maybe a player that could help other people around me, I guess. Um so you know, I I always thought if I look back on me my playing career is if I played in a good team, I, I would be all right and and help people. If I played in a not so good team, I was probably the worst player in the team. Uh, you know, I felt I felt when I look back that well, you know, I weren't a player that in a poor team could make myself look like a standout player. But if I played in a if I played in a good team, I, I probably had the ability to help people around me. Um, 
just you know i guess just the way i play directing people around and, and kicking and stuff like that but i were happy with my playing career you know i uh, uh i had a couple of opportunities uh to could play sub league but just probably came at the wrong time for me as i was getting old and getting injured as you know i never got injured lee and then when you became a physio i was never out of your room were I? that's how uh, i know you so well <laughs> <laughs> um but but really enjoyed my career you know, whoever I played for and whether that were in the professional game or I went back another season at Featherstone, Featherstone Lions, really enjoyed my career and, uh, you know, played in some big games for Jewsbury and for Widness at that particular level of the game and, and you know, thoroughly enjoyed it. No regrets. Uh, understood my limitations as a player. Absolutely. Um, a couple of chances I had to go play Super League. Uh, didn't take them. I just thought there were no longevity in it for me. I'd got a good job outside of rugby league. Um, a good job and a good, you know, I won't say career, but a good job and a good pension and, and all that sort of stuff. So I think in the back of my mind, I, I felt uh, that I would I'll have more longevity as a coach than, than sort of finishing my job and and going and playing Super League for a season or two and then having to drop back in. And, and sort of the offers that came my way were 27, 28 as well, which, you know, you're getting... You're getting closer to the end at that point. So, no, I enjoyed it, mate. Enjoyed it. The Jewsby side I played in were a, a good side and I had a great camaraderie and um, were a really successful era for that club and really enjoyed the season I had at Witness where we managed to sort of replicate what we'd done at Jewsby. You know, the, the coach had two or three players left and and, and went there and, and we managed to get Witness uh, promoted in a, in a really good team and, um, yeah, enjoyed it. How would Richard Agar, the coach, help Richard Agar, the player? <laughs> not, not very well. <laughs> It'd have been hard to handle, wouldn't it? Painting ass, yeah, painting backside, uh, yeah, painting the backside, um, yeah, slow, couldn't tackle. <laughs> uh, but I've got, I've got an all right, you know, I played, played, I guess, the bulk of me. Uh, the bulk of my career, or where I, I guess, the most success under Neil Kelly. You know, we had a, we had his ups and downs along the way. No, no doubt about that. I played with him. You know, he was a teammate of mine. Still to this day, uh, you know, we're good friends. Uh, we had his moments, and we had some falling outs. But even sort of towards the back end, well, towards when we were playing at Jewsby, I was watching video for him, taking in, you know. I won't say I was writing game plans, but I was watching video. This is, what I think, this, this is what I think about attacking this team. So I'd sort of started to, you know, my relationship with him was a, a strong one, certainly from a rugby point of view. I thought, he, you know, he, he knew how to manage me personally and, and get the best out of me. And and when he went to witness, I followed him and, and we were fortunate that uh, it, it worked. You know, the formula worked again there. But yeah, I, I had a, a close relationship with him. Uh, certainly, from in a rugby league sense, so more than you, you know, I, I guess more than players would do these days in terms of, I, I guess I had my foot in the coaching camp a little bit, even even back then. Good stuff, mate. Just for talking about your career, two hundred and twenty games you played at your first great career. How many? Two hundred and twenty. I might have played more in eighteen, did I? <laughs> Yeah, you in your in your early days, you were in and out of the Featherstone. Then you you you've had 140 at Jewsbury, 23 at Featherstone, 41 at Rochdale, and 16 at Witness. So 220 games you've played in a 
14 year career, 20 year career, I think. 91 to 2003, 22 years. Is yeah. that... There'll have been some seasons when I probably didn't play too much yeah. first team as well. And that. Uh, oh, 14 and, years. You know, when, when you're a young kid and you're growing up, you just you want to get signed on. Yeah. And when you get signed on, you want to play an 18 game. When you play an 18 game, you want to play a first team game. So, so you know, if I managed to play professionally for 10 years and um, you know, had some of the experience I had and, and played that amount of games and uh, that, I didn't know that and I'd got no I, I wouldn't have had a clue if you've asked me to put a number on it I'm not sure I could have put a number on it for you um, no. we enjoy a quiz on here mate we always uh, quiz somebody on the team um, I'm going to throw you the 2000 grand final mate you remember the Jewsbury team yeah I'm not bad at these I'll, <laughs> I'll give this a go uh, Nathan Graham Richie yes. Baker uh, Brendan O'Meara, Dan Potter, Aidy Flynn, me, Barry, who I saw on a quiz show last night, actually. Got it. He were on one of tea time quiz shows with his daughter, Millie. Yeah, yeah, he didn't win. He didn't win. <laughs> uh, I never had him down as a quiz at Basel. Uh, <laughs> didn't know much back in the day, did he? Uh, uh, Shane Williams. Yeah. Dave Michael. Uh, started at Ucker, Paul Delaney on bench. Uh, Ryan McDonald. Sean Richardson, Daniel Frame, Damian Ball, Bench, Paul Delaney, uh, Matthew Long. Oh, now this is this this is tricky ones. This is tricky ones. We had four subs back then. Yeah, did we? One didn't. One didn't go on. Gav Wood didn't Gav get Wood. on. Gav Wood didn't get on. Yeah. Uh, you've so, got you've got you've got them all right so far, but you've got them wrong way around. Number ten, you said, did you say Ryan McDonald? He was yeah. on, he was on the he bench. bench. <clears throat> oh, Mark Haig started. Mark Haig. Mark, Mark Haig moved to prop. Yeah, so Ryan McDonald on that bench. That's it, mate. Well done. Yeah, first, yeah, first, yeah, first one that's got yeah. something. <clears throat> yeah, I never, even even obviously I was two years I was a physio that day, and I think I'd have got PD, Paul McDelaney, and Michael wrong way around. I didn't, I couldn't remember Dave Michael starting. Yeah, there you go. Jamie, you mask, were you mascot, Jamie? Were you mascot yeah, as well? Yeah, we're there. Yeah. We're on all photos with your Jewish shirt on, aren't you? I am, yeah. Keep them quiet now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we won 13 we 12 that day. Um, you got the drop goal. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you remember who was acting halfback when you got the ball from the. Dan uh, Potter. Dan Potter. And I'll tell you why, because obviously. I think Bazard had a shot before then, and I was thinking, I was trying to get it before uh, before fifth tackle. I don't think it was fifth tackle. It might have been third tackle. It was really early-ish in the count, third or fourth tackle, and it had been a little bit elter-skelter. I just thought, you know, next time, next time we get anywhere near, I'm I'm, I'm going to take it. And and I can remember, I think Sean Richardson played ball, and and I thought. It's Dan Potter had done me half. I'm not quite sure what's going on. I'm going to, I'm waiting for a crisp packet getting thrown at me. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it only just went over. Yeah, we got there in the end. Happy days, mate. Happy days. Talk about Australia, mate. Where did your love of Australia come from? Did, did, had you had more, much experience before Eden Tigers in about 1995? Or was that your first? Um, yeah, I'll tell you exactly. I, I think, like most kids back then, and we're on about this the other night. You know, we used to play out on the street. I lived down the street in Featherston where there were lots of lads that played rugby and, and played for our local team and played at school. We used to go and play up at Featherston Cricket Field, you know, three-a-side, four-a-side, five-a-side, however, however many kids we could round up. 
And back then, it came on video. So we used to go, don't forget my dad was a coach. So he would be looking at us. When international transfer ban finished, he'd be looking at videos for, for players and styles of play and all that. And I think it might have been Micron back then, used to ship over the Channel 9 or Channel 10 games. And so you could go down from the video shop, hire the video and it would have three games on it. Well, our street were full of kids that wanted to watch these videos. So you had to go down, put your name, put your name down for the Aussie tape coming in. Uh, but whoever got it out of the street, generally, we all used to pile into their house and watch it. So, <clears throat> you know, we all had different club shirts back then. Uh, and then in 1992, uh, I followed the tour, which were the last proper Ashes tour, really. So we did a we did like a savings club for I don't know two or three years and it were run from the Black Swan at Normington which <laughs> were a famous rugby league pub so Charlie Burtsall famous player had it and then Selwyn Bridges who, who also played Selwyn had, had the pub as well and um, like Steve and Johnny Lingard Ted Ferguson who'd been a player they were a big gang of, of I guess the Saturday afternoon drinking crew really Terry Day come over with us mm-hmm. and um and my dad organised his trip because he'd done that a couple of times. You know, the tours was sort of Peter Banner, I think Neil Fox would have gone on and Billy Boston. They always had like a, a guy to chaperone him around and, and had contact. So my dad had done that a couple of times. Uh, and so we, we'd we gone on that tour. Now at the time, my dad would go in, but my mother was sick, uh, sort of terminally sick as well. And and we're coming towards the end of um, a, a well, the end of my life, really, and so so that were a period. So my dad had to, my dad had to actually drop out. So me and my brother, I would have been oh, 19, 20 but back then, and he was sixteen, seventeen. So we went with these. Well, I describe it as a pretty hard drinking crew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they all had a crack at the can record on the on the way over, put it that way. And it was back in the days where you could smoke on planes. <laughs> they're, all, they're, all, they're all just like smashing cans into them and smoking. So it was me and my brother, you know, we, we were young lads and, you know, I guess his eyes weren't as wide open to some of this stuff uh, back then. Uh, so we, we went and followed that tour. We stayed in Potts Point, not far off Downingurst Road. I can remember going into his hotel rooms, opening his curtains, and and we had a view over the, you know, opera house and, and bridge. And if you remember, we grew up through 1982 and the kangaroos in 1986. So so Australia were always like, uh, you know, superhuman. But uh, when when we got there, just you know, being around the leagues clubs, my dad had fixed it up for us to to go training. So we actually we went to St George. Brian Smith allowed us to go into. Uh, in and watch St George train. So Brian met us off the train, took us in the changing rooms. Uh, we stood on the pitch side and watched first grade train. We were going to watch, as well as following the Great Britain tour around, we uh, we uh, watched a lot of club games while we were there. Graham Eady took us into um, Gold Coast. He was Wally Lewis's assistant at the time. So we, we spent some time up at, uh, I think they were Gold Coast, can't remember whether the Seagulls or Giants back then. Charges, were it? Uh, uh, no, before Charges days. Uh, Great Britain played them in the tour game. So, so we followed the tour around, uh, went to Parramatta, went to, they played uh, Newcastle one night, played Illawarra in Wollongong, uh, test match in Brisbane, that they lost the test, the test match at Princess Park, the famous one where Great Britain, uh, 
you know, smoked Australia. So we followed it around and, and caught a lot, a lot of club games. And I think if anything, you know, I really got the bug then and just wanted to go back and, and probably, uh, probably at some stage thought I might come back and live here if I get the opportunity. So, such were the size and interest of the game and and the rugby people that were around there. You know, I love it. I love Sydney uh, and I love, you know, what the sport's about in in that country. So, uh, yeah, a couple of years later, Neil Kelly, actually, Neil Kelly had played for Eden Tigers. They, they were looking for some players. Um, Neil had asked me, you know, they wanted a front rower. And uh, he said, look, do you know any front rowers? And we asked around, tried to get a couple of young lads to go on, and they said no. Uh, he says, well, do you want to go? I've, you know, told them about you. So I've gone in a week. Uh, just, I managed to get some time off work. Um, drove and got my visa from Manchester. Uh, got myself on a plane. And, and when I find them, Eden's, you know, on the far south coast of New South Wales. It's only a town of maybe three, three and a half thousand people. So when they talk about playing in the bush, this were absolutely, you know, this were as, as bush as it gets, really. Um, when I got there, this sort of says, oh, you're not very big, are you? <laughs> and he told them we were getting a, they were getting a utility forward that could play front row, which I absolutely wasn't. Uh, but, yeah, and ended up enjoying it. Won the comp that year, and and some of the guys that I met there are, are still still some of my best friends, really. You know, I see them every time I go back to Australia, whenever I get, get opportunity to get down to Eden, uh, I do. Um, interestingly enough, over the years, uh, some Eden boys have come back this way. So my brother went and played for them. Uh, and I I generally sent players, most years, I'd, I'd be able to send a player, you know, if it were an academy kid that were too old for academy and not getting, you know, not getting a first-team contract or a kid that were coming out of reserve grade. I've, I've sent oh, maybe a dozen players over the years. Some have married and, and settled down. Some have done really good stints and won comps and become the coach and all that. And then we started getting boys coming back this way too. So at Featherston at one point, you couldn't go in a pub without someone from Eden working behind the bar. They were playing for Fev Town Cricket Club, playing for Fev Lions. A couple of lads ended up playing with Cass reserve grade for, for a while. Uh, so, yeah, for a number of years, there were sort of a bit of a exchange policy going on which which you know were great for both towns really and, and a lot of my friends now uh from work from Featherston are, are you know strong mates with plenty of people from you know from that little part of the world. Wonderful mate good stuff. You're going back to your coaching and Neil Kelly um, knowing yes. you as we do and your passion for the game is that where your coaching bug started alongside Neil so, and then as it progressed on through the Lions I remember you joined Featherston Rovers as uh, Andy Kelly's assistant in 2003. Yeah, oh, you probably have to think back to childhood as well. There were no laptops back then, and and coaches weren't full time. So my dad had come home on a Sunday night, and um, it might be, might be a, a few pints, or if he needed to turn video around, it'd be you know back in the old video to video days where you stop start. So so you know we'd sit in on a Sunday night and watch him do his cuts and. Some, you know, maybe do some stats for him and stuff like that. Back back in the days before, we had uh, analysts. You know, we we go through the tape and help start the game up as he was doing it. Um, so I, I guess really early doors, I had a, a an exposure to to what that were all about. Um, yeah, don't know, don't, don't know really. I think I think before I got to Jewsby, I, I sort of. We're flirting with it a little bit back then at amateur level and, and junior teams. 
And then uh, obviously working with Neil uh, through that period, we're a good team. And, and listen, I, I, want, I wasn't coaching the team. Let me let me make that straight. Absolutely not. Um, but he'd say, look, you know, take that on, bring it back, tell me what you think. You know, come back with some, you know, write me notes and so I think we should play them this week. These are, these are what I think the strengths and the dangers are. This is how we might. So sometimes he'd listen to me, other times he wouldn't. Uh, but that was, uh, yeah, that was probably the first time that uh, I, I got close to it. And then then when I finished playing, yeah, I went I went and worked with Andy for, uh, for maybe two years at Featherstone as an assistant. I think we were already coaching Featherstone Lions by then. And, mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd taken England students to Russia. For a, for a tournament. So I coached England and Great Britain students for a year. Um, a, a mate of mine, Simon Tufts, were coaching him. And it, it, this might jog your memory. He jumped in a swimming pool head first and a metre of water and he broke his neck. Yeah. Uh, and, and miraculously, the surgery sort of stopped him being paralysed. So, you know, he's back on his feet, thankfully. Uh, but Simon were doing Fed, Fed Lions job and, and doing Great Britain students as well. So this were all really last minute. And I'd helped him out doing some bits and bobs with them. So Vinnie Webb, uh, you know, it's been a great giver to the game in terms of coach education, Vinny. Uh, Vinny said, look, will you step in and do the England students? And um, yeah, we're a team full of a lot, a lot of championship players. So some lads from Gates said, Paul Thorne, uh, yeah, Paul Thorman, mm-hmm. uh, Robin Piers that's still doing some bits in America now, I think with Boston. Uh, Neil Kite that played for Leeds. Um, Tony Alcroft who played for Hunslet, Jermaine Coleman who's just finished coach in London Paul Wells John Wells' brother that, that played at Sheffield Andy Pointer that played at Sheffield so, so they're real sprinkling of lads that were you know intelligent kids uh, Andy Raleigh were in there right. that I, I later coached at Wakefield um, and we went to Russia and, and played in European Championships and a team from New South Wales came as well um, so we spent some days in Moscow and I were, yeah, I were a young coach, 20, 28, 29-year-old, and these guys were 20, 21. So the first night in Russia, there were some new drums going on down Red Square <laughs> in the heart of Moscow in front of all these guards that are carrying machine guns, and I'm just thinking, oh, no, what on earth have I got myself into? Yeah, but we, we went and played. The tournament were in Kazan, uh, which... Which were yeah, it was about a fourteen-hour overnight train ride from from <laughs> Moscow. Crowds were massive, you know. I think there were like sort of ten thousand crowds for the for the final and the opening game when we played when we played the Russian team. Uh, and nine eleven happened while we were there. Actually, that happened. We're in we're in deepest darkest Russia. Yeah, and uh, we we came home from training one morning, and, and obviously Russian TV, we can't hear what's going on. We just seen the planes flying to the twin towers. And and Ikram Butt were on the coaching staff, and straight away Ikram just went, "Oh, that'll be that'll be Osama bin Laden," and we can remember all his phone lines went down, and we were in Russia, and you know we didn't know what was going on back then, so the, you know I don't think internet were too what happening too much, and none of his phones would work, and yeah, we were, we were petrified, we were like, you know, are you going to get us out of it? You know, we're in Russia, and World War Three is probably going to break out. <laughs> And we were probably the, one of the closest Russian cities to Afghanistan as well. This is can you you know can you get about can you get us out of there? Uh, anyway, they didn't, and, and gradually news filtered through what had gone on, and it all became apparent. And 
yeah, we uh, we we won the tournament. I had a good, had a again, had a had a great time over there, and um, come back from that, coached Featherstone Lions for a year, and then Andy Kelly, yeah, ended up player coaching Featherstone right right towards the end. But I think I'll I'll finish as a player by the time uh, by the time they yeah, all got to represent my own time club in uh, in a first grade game. I think I think you know my best days will be on me on the field. <laughs> Fascinating stories there. I felt like I were encapsulated within all that. 9-11 in, in deepest, darkest Russia. <laughs> there's a, there's a film, I don't know. Go back a film, I'll write a book. Where, where were you when that happened? Yeah, we were coming from training in Russia and watching it literally five, five, ten minutes after it had happened. And, and, and all the teams, because there's a team from Australia there and the Russian team were staying with us too. And we're just all crowding around televisions thinking, wow, what's happening there? So yeah. Oh yeah. So what you not long after it, you found yourself at York. What, what how long uh, how long did you spend at York and did you enjoy your time there? Yeah, I loved it. Uh one season. Um yeah, some some regrets really because I thought we were a fantastic team and, and played great all year. Um I, I sort of well, coming to the end of, Andy had finished as Featherston coach and uh, Couple of like Steve Lingard and a couple of directors said, "Look, will you take the job?" Which, yeah, I just weren't real sure. And uh, and my dad was CEO at the time, and he didn't want me to have it, which is no surprise. Uh, so I, I was just in a position where they, they were then going to invite people to apply and all that, and and I didn't I didn't really want to coach Featherstone at that particular time. It was very uh, uh, the glass were half empty. You know, it was difficult to get players there, uh, run on a shoestring. I, I couldn't see it would be that easy to take the team forward. And as a local kid, you know, it, it wasn't something that I, I really wanted to do. And just, just again, I can remember walking around saying uh, with my wife at the time, so I, I just, I wish my phone had ring. And it did there and then. And Steve Ferris called me and, and I drove past his arm on the way on. And um, a couple of hours with Steve, I'd known Steve, from years gone by, he played at Carlisle, uh, one of my dad little coach. And uh, Steve had sort of followed my career a little bit. And uh, he, I think he'd heard some stuff that I'd done with Neil and done with Andy and just said, look, Paul Broadbent's leaving us. Do you want an opportunity to take this job? And, and I jumped at the chance. You know, I absolutely jumped at the chance. Uh, I'll try and be really quick on this, but it, it, it was just a great season. We, we played really good rugby. And, and if anything... We were sort of a success really hurt us because we uh, we went to the quarterfinals of the Challenge Cup. Uh, we went to the semi-finals of what what it might have been Arriva Trains back then. And what happened? We ended up, I think Barra, Peter Rowe won the championship with Barra, and, and just a fabulous tell, they, they had a really good year. But we ended up playing something like 10 or 11 games more than, than everybody else in our comp because we'd done so well in the cup competitions. And all of them games were, again, higher-ranking opposition, you know, first division teams or Super League teams. And, and it just, in the middle of the season, it just took a little bit of a toll on us. And, and back then, I don't know if you remember this, but the playoffs weren't, again, teams in your league. We, had, we ended up playing Halifax, who were in the league above us. And so it was like a relegation battle versus a promotion battle. You know, so you're playing a team that's running off completely different salary caps. Um 
and we dominated the game and I think we conceded three tries, three converted tries in the last seven minutes of the game and, and video ref got one of them wrong as well and uh, and we lost by two points and it was just it was just a real heartbreaking way to go out at York you know I just thought we'd really deserve promotion that year and uh, yeah a couple of you know a little bit of victims of his own success really at, at one point it just took too much of a toll on the squad uh, but they, got, they went on next year Mick Cook took a very very similar team and they got promoted and fantastic little club um, run by great people the supporters were brilliant Really, really good people in and around uh, that club, that city. And yeah, I still get over there now and again if I can from time to time. Stadium has been rebuilt. It's a fantastic little place uh, to go and watch rugby on a Sunday afternoon. So, yeah, good good, good affinity with York. Really loved my time there. Did you know by the end of the season you were going to LFC? Yeah, yeah. I started to get, um, started to get some offers uh, to go to Super League. I'd, go, I'd had my first child by then and I was working and coaching and, you know, every bed, every night I'm going to bed at 12 o'clock, you know, you, you still, we were still on old videos back then and and, and the toll of it around having a, uh, you know, a 12, 18 month year old baby trying to work and trying to coach as well. They said, someone's got to give up, I'll give it another year at York, but then uh, I'm probably, I'm going to either quit or I'm going to have to go full time. Uh, anyway, fortunately, I, I started to get some opportunities to go um, to go full time and work in Super League. Uh, but it was a big thing, you know, packing my job in. You know, I've been there since I left school and said, got you know, good job, well paid, good pension. Uh, you could coach part time and, and and earn a little bit more money. So from a actually from a monetary sense, you, you had to take a pay cut to go full time. Um, but it was a little bit of a now or never moment. I just thought, if I don't do it now, uh, I'm never going to do it. I was prepared that, look, I signed a two-year deal thinking, you know, what's the worst that can happen? If 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 it doesn't work out, then, you know, I'll, I'll go back and I'll find myself a job. And, um, yeah, 12 months later, we won't challenge Cup. So it seemed, it seemed really worth it at the time. <laughs> I remember you telling me a few years ago that you offered the first team job. Obviously, John Key was there, Peter Sharp was there, and you'd been offered the job a couple of times, but you turned it down because you didn't think you were ready. What changed in 2008? Um, I got offered a couple of jobs, Wayfield being one of them. I can't remember what time that was. Steve Ferris, had, I think Steve Ferris had gone to Wakefield at that time, maybe. Uh, and... and I've been sounded out about a couple of other jobs because because my first two years at home, we won Challenge Cup under John and then uh, we got to Grand Final under Pete. So we were going all right. So I started to get sounded out about other jobs. But then uh, Pete, I can remember Pete having some trouble with his work permit about getting over. And and this whole sort of said, you know, if you, if you can't get it, we want you to do it. And, and I just, I just well, fought up to an experience, to tell you the truth. Um, but by the time that came around the second time, I think maybe three times I'd knocked jobs back. And I was starting to think, if I keep knocking them back, um, I might get tainted with the brush that, you know, I might stop getting asked. So, so I took it really. And to be honest, it was probably the worst time and the worst job I could have, you know, the other opportunities would have been much better than the time I actually said, oh, you know, the, um, 
the roster, you know, as is often the case, you know, you usually get offered a job when when things probably aren't, aren't as good as they should be. Um, and yeah, the roster were in a tough, tough place. Salary cap management wasn't as much of a science and art as it is now back then. And uh, without going into too too many details, yeah, they, they were in a tough spot. So the first, yeah, first season, first season, season and a half, or well, yeah, re really tough to be honest. Well, we got to where I think we made a Challenge Cup final, um, beat Wakefield in the semi. Mm -hmm. uh, what were you? Oh eight, oh nine. Can't even remember. Two thousand eight. Yeah. Two thousand eight. Mm. Um. But yeah, yeah, rocky road at Hull. I've always said this about Hull, just just such a massive club and so much passion around it. The the good days I think will be hard to be replicated anyway. You know, when when you when you have success there. And, and I'll throw OKR into this too. I think if you have success on Umberside, you'll get an experience like no other place in, in rugby league can probably offer. Uh but the you know, I just found there were, there were no in between. You know, it were either the, the success were phenomenal. Um, but anything else, well, yeah, we're, we're tough. And how did you, you had seven years at Hull. So what were the comparisons from being an assistant to a first team? How did your life change? Because I remember I, I helped you as a physio for a, a couple of off seasons. So yeah. I was on the inside looking out and, and there with you. How did you feel? How did it change you from a, being an assistant to a first team and your life in general? I think that was difficult because being an assistant for so long, you build up relationships and those relationships as a, assistant coach are vastly different to what they are as a head coach and um, maybe some players and maybe me you know struggle to 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 recreate and distinguish in in those relationships at times um you know i i, I met that i certainly fully aware of some of the mistakes i made uh in in some of the areas i don't want to go into too much detail because i don't want to you know Feel like I'm disrespecting anyone, um, but yeah, I was aware of some of the mistakes. Uh, I thought towards the end it were a bit of a fine line for us. I thought the year that we managed to turn his roster around and and get some real experienced players there, like Longy or Mealy, Fitzgibbon. Um, yeah, we we were fighting for a top four spot uh, in the game that Lee Radford got sent off with, with Ryan Bailey. We're fighting for a top four spot, and, and I think Danny Maguire scored with a couple of minutes on the clock, which made us go from fourth to uh, fifth or sixth. I'm not too sure, and that put us out of the that put us in the jeopardy for the playoffs, and and we got beat on by OK. I, I thought that was a real far line, but I thought once that happened, yeah, we're on a you know we're on a sort of downward slope as as whole coach. And I think if we, if we could have snuck in that, if we'd have got that game on a snuck in top four. It, it could have potentially been a different picture, but it won't. And I, I probably realised in the three years as a head coach, um, yeah, I probably want myself enough, you know, trying to trying to maybe coach to, to trends in the game rather than be who we were and and maybe play to the strengths of, of what we've got as well. Uh, and as I say, there were some mistakes in there that, you know, I hundred percent made and and probably wouldn't make those same mistakes. You know, throughout the rest of my career, it's a tough job, tough job. Hull, it's a really tough place to coach. And as I say, the success there is unbelievable. You know, great stadium, support was a, a you know when it's on, it, it, it's incredible. Uh, but it would also, yeah, it's also a, a goldfish bowl of a place.
Before we leave Hall and come over to Trinity, mate, we, we love the Challenge Cup. We, we love Wembley and all those stories. Tell us about that 2005 Cup final down at Cardiff, mate. What a day that was. Yeah, good day. And we'd had, we'd had a really we'd had a really tough run into the um into the final. I think we played Wakey, played Lee, who were in Super League at the time, played Wakefield, who, who were a decent team. Uh back then. Uh we played Bradford, who were in the pomp. We played St. Helens, mm-hmm. who who'd a fair team as well. And then we played Leeds in the final. It, it were an incredibly you know. When you when you look back at the opponents that we had through all the rounds, um, yeah, John John were really good around, around some of that in terms of, um, I guess the focus he put on those games uh, in and around it. We had a strong focus in and around the Challenge Cup that year. Um, we'd got some really experienced players in in Richard Swain and, and Stephen Kearney that were very much the leaders of that team, and we played a, a red hot Leeds team at the time. I don't know if it was Tony's second year. I think they'd won the comp the year before under Tony. Um, and they were, you know, they were really dominating everything at that time. So so yeah, we had a we had a definite game plan, I remember. Um, a game plan that we were sort of working on for two or three weeks up to the game, certainly around uh, around this, this kicking game. Uh, and how we thought we could, you know, nullify some moments. At the end of the day, it were it were a you know, they were, a, they were a split air in, in the game, weren't they? Mm. Fantastic final. Uh, I would say that that's, if anybody said what, you know, what's the best stadium, I'm not so I can play, played or coached it. I thought the atmosphere at that game, full house, leads in the hole, you know, fans are smack bang up the side of the pitch. Uh, the bus ride in, uh, not like Wembley now, where, you, you, you know, you police escorted in and you're around the back way. You go through the throngs of fans because the, the stadium's right in the city. So even even the ride into the the stadium were um, were incredible, really. Uh, and it was an unbelievable day, and, and obviously won it in dramatic circumstances. I, I can just remember to John. I think they they scored to go up, and we needed a try. We might have been five behind. There weren't a lot of time left on the clock. I don't know, seven or eight minutes. But it was something Steve Ferris. At Tottenham when we were coaching, I said, "Look, you always get a chance. You will always get a chance to win the game." And we just pass that message down. We'll, we'll get a chance so, somewhere. We will get a chance to win this game. And uh, and obviously, Paul Cook came up with a brilliant moment, and and Bruffy <laughs> Bruffy kicked the goal. So Bruffy's first season after coming from York. So yeah, it were a it were a, a fantastic occasion. And I think the thing that stands out most was when the players got back that. There must have been twenty odd thousand people waiting in in the city square at Hull uh, to receive the team on on the balcony, and, and yeah, they're they're sort of memories that you'll never, yeah, you'll never forget. Good. And before we leave that final, just tell us about the glass door story, mate. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I don't know, how you know that. I must have told you that. Um, <laughs> so it's a big stadium. So you can usually walk up to your seat, but, but on a day like that, you sort of get chaperoned up. So we had to go in the lifts, and then you have to go in the lifts that the catering people use all that. Well, I think Andy last wanted to wanted to walk out with the team and experience that, you know, the walk out the tunnel. But but John had to, you know, John had to lead the team out and and do all the, the dignitary stuff. So John was probably going to be late up and, and miss the start of the game because by the time he's finished shaking hands, they get them ready for kickoff. It had been a four or five minute 
effort to get to the floor that we were on. So I just said to him, I said, well, I'm going up. I'm not, I'm not going pitch side. I want to be there, set up, microphones on for the kickoff. Anyway, it just took us forever to get up in the lifts. So I went harassing out uh, to, to get to me seeing the microphones, <laughs> the patio door, patio door was shut. So I just come flying. I walked straight into this patio door. Uh, thankfully, the cameras weren't on, but some some fans in and found it. So, and I'm not kidding. I was sit for ten minutes at game. I was seeing stars. I walked into it that, and we were just laughing. We were just like, I had time when cameras were on not to laugh. Well, I just kept saying to last day, I'm still seeing stars. Uh, but yeah, memorable. Worth it in the end, mate. Worth it in the end. Yeah. Well. I'm just just looking at these stats, it surprised me. It's ten years ago that you, you came to Wakefield as head coach in 2012. What what yeah. about that that finally coming back to your kind of spiritual home at Bellevue? Um, well, my dad had a year there in 1981. They finished fourth actually, and, and so we used to go early. They're a really good Colts team. Colin Maskell, Russell Smith played in that in that team. They're a really really good Colts team, and you know, some really good young. Players at the time, Keith and Kevin Rain were coming through, uh, established. Uh, Andy Kelly were just making his way into the first team then. Johnny Thompson were a young bloke yeah. back in them days and played a little bit of first team. Uh, you know, Dave, Dave Topless were a wonderful player, Lancaster were there. And we, so I, I, I loved going to Wakefield, loved it because we'd go early, watch the Colts, and then, and then get to watch the first team. So, yeah, I, I was happy to. To get opportunity to coach that club, and uh, you know, I think you have to send yourself back there. It looked like they were falling out of Super League. Um, the Crusaders fell over, I think, didn't they? Right at the eleventh hour, and Wakefield, I think, got the reprieve that that no one was sort of expecting them to get. So when I got there, uh, the the club had made some signings. And, you know, I, I inherited a team that they were putting together basically to go into the championship. So so that was, yeah, that was tricky. That that was tricky at the time. And we'd still got us quota spots. And as is often the case with your quota spots, if, if you're late, if, you, if you're really, really late in the market, you, you can get, you, you know, you can be in a position where you can pick up guys that for, for whatever reason haven't got a club, you know, the club wants to contribute to the wages to... to get rid of them uh, because of salary cap pressures and we were in a position at Wakefield where we, the, the, no budget they the told me whether this is true or not but they told me with 1.2 to spend well the cap were 1.8 so you know six, 600,000 600,000 pounds if you, you're paying 600 grand players that, that's a lot that's a lot of players you, that you can't have uh, so yeah I went to Australia we, we managed to come back with uh, Paul Aton, Dean Collis, Tim Smith. <laughs> um, we begged, steal them and borrowed. Uh, you, you know, with greatest respect the, the, the sort of players that they got on the books, I, I, I would have kept them all and would have had them all, but we wouldn't have won many games. This is, there would just have been no balance to the squad. We'd have had a, a, a squad full of, of lads that would have been really good championship players, but, but maybe struggled to get us results in Super League. So we had, we had to do a bit of wheeling and dealing and Unfortunately, let let some of those boys go before a ball had been kicked, and uh, and and we got, you know, we got Ben Kane who were without a club because he'd had so he'd had some off field issues. 
Cast had signed Richie Mathers and didn't want him, so they, they were sort of paying his wages. We've managed to pick Kermo and Andy Rally up from Huddersfield on, on a similar sort of heart. Peter, Peter Fox, same thing. You know, okay, I contributed to his wages. So when you started going through his team, actually, we were probably getting a lot more value uh, than, than what the team were costing us on paper because we just got guys at the right time on the way out of clubs, really. Ali Lauti, you were, you know, a massive, massive signing for us. Um, and I'm trying to think. Yeah, we had, we had, a, we had a tricky start to the year, but, but you know, is there any wonder? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you so many stories. Like, so we didn't have a training ground. So every, every, every training day, I've managed to get good mates with, with Trevor Barker at Quags and, and Scott Benton and it's Andy Roberts uh, were running Silcoats at the time. So they were really good in terms of letting us have the field. But we, we'd have to ring up every morning. Can we get on the field? You know, we'd pump the balls up, wash the bibs, pack the van up, get in as convoys to get up to the training ground, which, you know, you've got guys coming out of NRL clubs that go in these waters going up there. Uh, but yeah, we had, a, we had a good spirit. We went away to France on a a bit of a pre-season training camp, uh, flogged them. We got flogged in a in a trial game out there. You know, the trial game was the last thing we needed at, at the end of that week. But sort of Catalan had helped help pay for us a few days away uh, to to get us over there and play them. So uh, unfortunately, we had to have a game. We got we got heavily beaten in a friendly, and it, and it took us a while. Took us a while to sort of hit the straps. I know we we got some flak early doors, but I think the way we threw the team together late on. Um, and the you know the circumstances, the resources, it were always going to be tricky. I think everybody had his favourites to get relegated that year. Everybody, nobody gave us a chance. And, and I think the year before, I think when I looked through it, I think we were close to fifty percent of the games had conceded 40, 50, 60 or 70, 70 points in games. So, so you know it were real. And, and listen, that's no slight on the people before me. That were just that were just where the club had uh, where the club had arrived at really through. Through circumstances and and probably probably poor management of the club, um, so yeah, we uh, we we managed to get it together. I think second half of the year, you might correct me on this. I think we won about eleven of his last fourteen games, so we, we had top four form for for sort of half a season. And and I think I think you know I'm biased, but I, I thought we played really a real good style of rugby too. We we couldn't tackle, you know, we we didn't have defenders. We were all attack. Uh, Sometimes as game planning tight games would be just pass it to Ali. That'd be it. Just give give the ball to Ali. Um, so we knew we always felt if we had enough points in as an attacking team, and we had enough ball. We had to come up with ways to play that wouldn't wouldn't put too much stress on his middles because we needed them high energy defending all the time. So so we came up with a, a style where we had a lot of ball movement. Um, we sort of played with two fullbacks a lot on attack. We had we had Ben Kane getting in at dummy half a lot, skipping across the field. We'd just let him roam in the middle of the field, so not have you know played without a left side. You know we didn't we didn't want to burn Ali up taking yardage carries. Lee Smith wasn't really a yardage ball carrier, so so we played with ball movement and sort of attacked with two fullbacks. Uh, and I think. By the time we sort of got into halfway the season, found his groove, and, and I, you know, I, I thought to adapt a style that that suited your team, we knew if opposition had plenty of possession, we weren't a team. We weren't going to grind his way to victories. Absolutely no chance. Uh, 
but we always felt we had a chance of outscoring outscoring opposition. And I thought, I think from that year, a couple of things were spirit. I always associate spirit with Wakefield. I thought Steve Southern struggled, and we ended up making Danny Kerman the captain, uh, which which was just inspired really because you know as as you guys know, he is just such a wonderful bloke and a bloke that's got that ability to pull people together. Warrior on-field rugby league technician and, and leader, we thought he could emerge and, and develop in that. But what Danny was, Danny is just, just a sensible kid. Um, he's a local kid. And, and he was just the, the glue that kept everybody together on and off the field. And uh, we, you know, I would say we, we got a lot out of a lot of players. If you talk about players playing the best rugby... I thought some of our players there, Paul Ayton played brilliant for us. We, we ended up getting the best out of Tim Smith. You know, Dean Collis was a good signing. Kerman went and, you know, got in the dream team and were on the fringes of England selection. Benica Kane got picked for England uh, and England Knights through that after being a kid that had sort of lost his way in the game. So, so it was just, you know, and still to this day, Lee, we're all, you know, we're all in touch and we're all pretty good mates and and it was a real memorable season for me. It was just, you know, we got some flack early doors, uh, but but the only there stuck together and, and I thought we played a really enjoyable brand of football and for all the sort of, you know, Challenge Cup finals and grand finals that I've been involved in, I can remember us making the playoffs. Uh, Bradford, I think Bradford were playing in Catalan and we were playing Salford that that weekend. I'm trying to think where the game were at. It weren't at Salford's ground. Were it, it? it were at Lee. It were at Lee. It were at Lee. It were at Lee. And so we knew before. We knew before that we'd made the finals. And so we told the players. We, we con- told the players and congratulated them. We said, "Look, come on, let's let's get out there and and just show everybody that we deserve this place in the playoffs." And, and we we are a playoff team. And they went. And I think the first maybe 40, 50 minutes, just put on a real show. And I can just remember all Wakefield fans at back of post, post game, you know, that have been through all the uncertainty of maybe going out of Super League. You know, we started the season slowish and then, you know, they got behind us on, on the running. We had some great crowds that year. And that was just something really memorable and special for me that that there were just a, a, such a great, honest, trustworthy, together bunch of blokes that, that just really bought into everything that we tried to do. And I just thought it were a, a really, you know, for me, uh, a really sort of special moment for me at that club, to be honest. I've, I've interviewed the likes of, of Mathers and Kermo and, and Washi as well, and they've all mentioned this camaraderie in the change room that them couple of seasons. How, how hard is it to create that in a squad that's been tipped to go down as well from a coaching perspective? Uh, I think I think it gets challenged. I think it gets challenged when you get beat. So I remember going to London early in the season and we got beat. We got beat maybe 13, 13 or something like that. And uh, and it, it probably weren't a 13-0 defeat, but you know, we didn't take his chances. We let a couple of soft ones in. And, and I can remember uh, like Andrew Glover had a right goal after it. And I like I just thought, you know, you've no idea. You have got no idea about, you know, about what this is all about um but but i'd just say that the character the characters in the team that that ran it even even the young kids that came through liam k played a, a bit sort of towards the end chris anakin trout we got some game time out of them lucas walshaw played 
they just really bought into everything. And and the senior blokes that we had, you know, Ali was such a wonderful human being. Benny Kane, uh, from his military background, were very forthright and very opinionated, but he wore, you know, he, he, he wore almost like a, a bit of a policeman around some of the housekeeping stuff internally. You know, he, he got really high standards around that. Um, and and Kermal, Mathers, Timmy Smith, Paulie Aton, they're just really good blocks. Paulie Aton missed half a year, and I think Andy Ellis coming in and Carl Wood ended up, you know, both playing really well towards second half. You know, we, we lost his best player, and, and they played really well towards second half of the season. Um, and, uh, yeah, we have to give it a shake at Eddingley, didn't we? we? We come back. That were a close game, and I think, I think Washi... <laughs> She put one down late on, didn't he? With with a try line begging that they may be technique to goal point. Maybe I'm not I'm not sure I can't quite remember, but but it, it was just typical of us that yeah, you know, we'd let some in, but we'd still we'd still got it in us to to come back and score some points at, at the team that eventually won it. Um so yeah, they're they're all still good, they're all still good mates from that time and and I'll speak very fondly of uh of you know that that particular period in the club. But yeah, they're, they're a really, really terrific bunch of blokes. We've got a great staff as well. They all bought in, and we sort of bought into the 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 nobody wants us type mentality. You know, everybody we were all waves and strays, unwanted from other clubs, and 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 pretty much that that was his team. That that's almost not everyone. You know, the the club had gone out and, and recruited some guys, but a lot of the guys that we brought in were, were basically without a home. Um, but enjoyed it, yeah. Bought into everything we were, we were about. We had some good fun along the way, and uh, yeah, we had a we had a really enjoyable season. We do have a fans question from Twitter, Rich, regarding that season. Someone's just asked us if we could ask you if you could. Are we live? Hey, are we live? No, 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 no. <laughs> we posted it out before about questions for you. <laughs> Don't worry, <laughs> we'll edit out the editable bits. Go on, man. <laughs> Um, if you could take one player from the current Wakefield squad and put them in your 2012 playoff side, who would it be and why? Oh, good question. Good question. First two names that spring to mind, but I'll give it some thought. If Fafita or Tanganola, just, just for size, power, X Factor, that that type of stuff. Uh, uh, obviously, I, look, I've signed Riesling twice. You know, I think Riesling... Is a good rugby league player and a good kid. I think we signed him the year after. Um, I, I probably still go on the theme of attack for that team. You know, the, the the conservative answer would be let's sign, you know, let's sign a grafter and someone that can tackle in the middle of the field. But I would say, nah, sod that. Let's get on the attack. Get let's get on the attack even more. And have a bit more X factoring, so so maybe for feet, but but I like I think I think Tanganoa's best games, uh, you know, are, are really really strong games as well. Uh, so so probably probably one of them too. And I'm not going to say Lewis Williams because I, I I liked his wingers too much to to hurt their feelings. <laughs> I think just before we move on, Rich, you mentioned Riesling. He's got a lot of flack at Wakefield over the years, but I think. This year, when he's missed, obviously, a big chunk of the season, it shows how much of a good player he is when he's missing. 
Yeah, but you, you know, sometimes you've got to take that with a pinch of salt. He seems to find his way into the England squad enough, doesn't he? So <laughs> maybe maybe there's some better judges out there that are watching him close enough to to, to find that. You know, I think I think if you're an opposition coach and you're coming up against Wakefield over the last number of years, Reese is a guy that would feature on your tip sheet. You know, he's, he's a guy that that can beat people. Um, in a number of ways with the ball in his hand. You know, don't don't forget, Jamie, I'm not watching him every week either. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't sort of buy into the who gets flack on fans forums because don't worry, I've got plenty myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's got his testimonial next year as well. So it just shows he's had 10 years at Trinity. So uh, he's had a good run. I, th- I think you should acknowledge that. You know, he would have had plenty of opportunity to, you know, to go to other clubs. Mm. Uh, um, but, but he hadn't. He stayed stayed loyal there, and he's been in and around England squads for a you know a fair old number of years too. So, as I say, uh, he must be doing something right at some point if he's getting that that particular type of recognition. Yeah, good stuff. Before we leave 2012, mate, I've just been looking through the results and like that that run we had at the end before we played Leeds in the playoffs. You've mentioned Salford, but we won out. We were in the sort of relegation zone and we won seven on the trot. And it also makes me smile when you said we, we didn't tackle because some of these games, I don't even. We brought, you brought Paul Sykes in halfway through, yeah, and and like we beat St. Helens 33-32, and he got the drop goal. We beat yeah. Houston 31-30, he got the drop goal. What games? Then we went we, we went to Cass and put forty past them. We Leeds came to Bellevue and we, we beat them by twenty odd. Yeah, that, that was a great run. Yeah, we, we could we could attack. There's no doubt we could attack. So actually, we're a bit of a catalyst for us because oh, oh, it, it sort of just didn't quite work for Isaac John. I thought Isaac John was a good player. Uh, I know he's been, uh, not, I mean, he, he's critical of me at times, but but I would still, you know, I would still sort of back him as a player and say he he got plenty going for him as a player. And I thought he showed that when he went back to the NRL. It was, it was just one of them things where something just fit better for us at that time. You know, Sykes, it was just a better foil for for Timmy. You know, we we were heavily loaded through Timmy, but we didn't we didn't really play left and right. Timmy just roamed around the field and and played both sides. Uh, but Sykes, he, you know, left footed kicker, he kicked the ball big, uh, and he were an, you know he was a vastly experienced player that didn't get ruffled too much as well. So he he just sort of worked for us better as a team uh, when Paul came in. And, and I, I'm not sure, I, I think, I might be wrong, but I, I'm sure our, the second half of our season were, were comparable with, with top four teams. I think we'd had a really tough start over his first eight and nine, uh, which, as I say, I think if, if, you know, if you understand the circumstances around it and throwing a team together late like we did and, Everything around it, it would have been no surprise that we had a slow start. But I thought once we got it together, I think I think for the second half of the year is far more top four, top five. And and yeah, you're right. There were there were a winning run towards the end of it. Um, what snuck us into the playoffs. But yeah, a couple of close wins. So we beat Saints at home by a point. We kicked, we kicked a drop goal mm-hmm. up at the far end. Is that right? Yeah, north stand area, yeah. North stand. And then OKR. Yeah, same end, playing right to left. He kicked one, yeah. he kicked one late there, didn't he? And I, again, I remember the fans that day. I remember the fans that day down, you know, as far away as you can get. Okay, yeah, yeah, close games. 31-30. 31-30. And it was like you say, we started off slow. We 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 won one game in the first ten, I think. We beat. What did we beat? I've just had a look. Um, 
can't find it quick enough. But we won one game. We were sort of having a bad run. We were getting some stuff in. Leeds put 40 pastas. Wigan put 50 pastas. And then right that, and then we won 11 of our last 14. We won all last seven, which is playoff stuff, isn't it? And we, we, give, we, yeah. give Leeds a, we give Leeds a fright. Like you say, we've had Washy on the uh, on the podcast and uh, we've thrown it at him. He made the break down the middle. And he all he had to do was pass it to Kermo and he put it around his boots. And that's that what it was. Yeah, and he put it around his boots. And that uh, that had brought us level. And we ended up so we lost 42 20 in the end. Did you remind him of it? We did, oh, yeah. we did. And what did he say? He, did he blame somebody else, Jamie? I can't remember. Well, he blamed head coach, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be that'd be right. That, that, most people do, don't they? Um, yeah, he, he was a good player, was he? You know, he really, pound for pound, he was a really good, good signing for the club, and he, he was another that bought into it, and um, you know, were, were a real part of that that good fun vibe that they had in and around then at that time and you know we went on and won a couple of challenge cups he went back to all and won a couple of challenge cups as well didn't he which i think were really just reward for a you know for a really solid career for washi yeah and the only other name we haven't mentioned from that season is kyle amor he had a season with us or two seasons oh, with us. brilliant brilliant kyle so we we got you know there's tons of kyle stories so kyle kyle were nearly gonna go kyle were nearly gonna sign uh, signed for a Super League club, uh, a, a different one, um, and we just sort of said, "Look, we just think that where you're going, here, you, you you're maybe not quite ready." And and we looked at the market at the time and and said, "Look, we think when next year comes, all the top clubs are going to be wanting front rowers. Right, right now, this club wants a front rower, and you're looking at it and you're thinking, yeah." But what we just think, if you, you sit tight here, your form's getting better, you know, you're getting used to playing every week. And he started to really, really improve Kyle. He's a genuinely funny kid, Kyle. And uh, and he did. He did. He sort of backtracked on that deal to stay at Wakefield. And, you know, his performances were just getting better and better. And sure enough, at the end of the year, I think, I think sort of as we sort of tried to forecast to him, pretty much all the top clubs were, were losing front rowers. And what a move it's been for him to go to the Saints. And he's doing he's doing a great job with the commentary too, isn't he? He is. Mm. Said to him last time I saw him, I did a, uh, some radio at the semi-final and they were doing some TV. I said, I just never realised how smart he was when he commentates on the game. And I should have played him in the halves, maybe, when he were at Wakefield to try it. I said, I never realised you'd got such a good football brain. You were keeping that really well hidden. Uh, but he's done well for himself. Done well. You know, had a great career at St. Helens, and uh, he's he's you know found another path within the game that I think he's really good at. Good stuff, mate. See, next season on, we bought you, you sort of brought in. Oh, I've just I've just I've just lost it. Uh, Justin Poor, recently yeah. we discussed Lee Smith and Talima Tautai. Yep, yep, yep. Talima went went all right for us, didn't he? Yeah, ended up yeah. with a good move and winning winning grand finals and. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think who we lost along the way as well. Uh, who we lost in that? If if I remember rightly, did the financial problems hit towards the end of the year? I think we had a run again where we were sort of flirting along the playoff positions, and yeah. And, yeah. and then I think I think I went in one day and they told me they'd sold the player, sold the player. Then they sold another player. Then another player we were going to sign. They didn't put a contract in front of him, and, and it became apparent there the skips weren't getting emptied, the sharps bins weren't getting emptied in the changing rooms. Uh, the gas and electric people were coming to 
cut off the supplies and yeah, it became apparent. I'm certainly, well, I think that season, if you've got it in front of you, I think we got a touch up at Huddersfield night, they won, uh, night they won minor premiership. Yeah, we lost 40 nil. Yeah, and that was, I think that was the week then it was like, um, yeah, everybody were running for the exit door. So what, what, what you tend to find is, in, in, you know, in, in a rugby league club, the biggest way to tip a club upside down is, is for it to be beset with financial problems. And, mm. and it was coming obvious then that, uh, you know, things wasn't as it seemed. Uh, you know, I guess it was my job really as a coach, as, as much as I wanted to keep the team together uh, and try and take it forward, you know, the, the, the survival of the club was paramount. And if that's what it took to keep the club, keep the club going, then unfortunately we would just have to uh, grin and bear it and put up with the consequences. But yeah, yeah, I, I can remember what stood out for me that year was a number of meetings I had to have and address stuff post-training. And look, I didn't know everything too. You know, I were getting fed bits and I'm not sure all of those bits were, were particularly accurate information at the time. Um, but yeah, that that created plenty of instability in the playing group at that point in time. And I think it were a difficult running. I think, I think we were running around fighting for the finals. I think we had a bit of a winning one, and then all of a sudden it became a bit of a firefighting issue from there on in probably the rest of the year because I think the ownership, I think the ownership were changing. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's when Michael first came in, yeah. Yeah, I think that's when Michael first came in. And to be fair to Michael, Michael were always very upfront and transparent. And basically we're gonna we've got to save the club. Uh, but we're determined to pay creditors as well. Uh, easiest job would have probably been to let the club sink into administration, but that could have well been the end of Wakefield in Super League. So Michael, uh, you know, felt obligated and, and morally quite rightly to uh, um, to fulfil that. You know, said so to me as a coach, look, there's not there's not pressure on you. If we will be expected to get relegated. Uh, we've just got to keep the club surviving and hope, but no one's bothered about that. I, you know, fans are bothered about winning and losing. Um, you know, then they're not worried. You know, great at Michael to sort of come up with that. But yeah, towards the end of that year, I remember that's what I remember more than anything. That I think we got a run together. Did we win four or five games on the trot around, getting into playoff time and like that, and then and then one next thing we were just it was just. Yeah, we were a bit we were a bit of a fight on his hands behind the scenes, really, with uh, with sort of fending off all that stuff. That's right, mate. We were we were in playoff positions. We were going really well. We'd lost. We'd won five on the trot. We had a great. I remember the a real good Monday night game on Sky where we beat Hull away twenty seven sixteen. Then following Monday, Widnes came. We beat them as well, and then the wheels fell off. We got stuffed by Leeds twice. Bradford, Warrington. What were St. Ellen's, Huddersfield, and then we had that final game when we beat Cass when Liam Kay got his hat trick. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. We were tough, we were tough end of the year because I said, look, you know, a lot of our players were playing well at that point, so naturally, uh, we're getting plenty of interest. You know, Danny Kerman were getting loads of interest. I think Timmy Smith, you know, were getting hit up by Salford at the time, uh, and a number of our players were. Um, the soul, you know, came in one day and Kyle Wood had gone. And it, it, it once the financial problems hit, it will look it were every man for themselves. And 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 it's difficult, it's difficult as a coach because 
you know, you got to do the right thing by the club. And uh, but I also understand when when players, you know, the the wages are late and not going in the bank as I said they should be, and that creates, you know, that creates a lot of instability and anxiety among the playing group. And you know, agents get wind of it, and and unfortunately, as I say, I can remember two or three times addressing the team on the pitch after training because there were just clear massive issues going on. Mm. Uh, that that sort of derailed us a little bit at that point. And yeah, I know I know myself. I sort of had opportunity to leave, and um, I can remember talking to Tony Smith about it, and he, he said to me, "Look, you can handle a you can handle a tough year, can't you?" I went, "Yeah." Yeah, but the thing for me, sort of going into the next year, well, I felt I'd had, uh, not that it's about control, but I felt I'd had a fair amount of control over the roster until then, that whoever came into the club and went out of the club, I'd, I'd probably got the, the biggest say on it. And then and then I didn't, and then I didn't, and I felt like I didn't have too much control at all. I understood the, the outgoings. I understood when they were getting offered... 50 grand for this player, 70 grand for this player. And that that's what saved the club. There, there were part of me, Lee, that I felt personally. Um, do you know what? We've picked some of these players up for nothing. We've had all the clubs prepared to contribute to the wages. And, you know, we've had we've had a good enough run over a season and a half that these blocks now, the transfer fees are going to save the club in, in respect. So, so the part of me there that I, I sort of felt... Although I'm not sure if pride is the right word, but what we'd done and what we'd achieved enabled the club to to survive. Because if we have had players that they could sell for that type of money, the short term job to keep the club afloat would have been a lot harder. Mm. I'm trying to think. Ben Benny left, didn't he? Benny left. Tim Smith left. Kyle Wood left. Yeah. Paul Ayton left. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were a, there were a couple of bits personally that, that for me it were like. I thought, I thought, yeah, yeah, I could do it, but then it just became, it just became to me that look, I are, I aren't going to be able to, to, to work in 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 these circumstances. I, I just felt that all the, you know, the ability to put the team together had, had been taken away from from myself, and uh, I was getting divorced at the time as well. You know, it was a tricky time for me in in my personal life, and I just felt. That after the start of the season, we had. I can remember. I can remember. I think we won at Witness. We won a couple of games. We won at Witness late, in really dramatic circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can just remember personally, just feeling almost a, a little bit empty on the back of it. You know, I, I felt we 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 brought the team so far, and, and we're ready to sort of keep building it and challenging for final spots, even albeit on a on a budget of. You know, miles less than what the bulk of the competition was spending, but it was enjoyable um, to try and beat the system like that. You know, to try and money ball your way through it. But then, when that's that sort of started happening, uh, and I say some things sort of in personal life a little bit, I, I just didn't think I had the fire burning enough for what that club needed at that time. Uh, and I told them that I said, "Look, you know, I, I'll see it out to the end of the year, but I'm probably." This is this is exactly what I've just said. Dad. This is exactly how I'm feeling right now, and and I just think this is going to be a massive, massive challenge to to keep this team up 
and they need someone that is is fully on board because I I just um yeah lost lost a little bit of um love for the job. I just felt too much had been taken away from from myself in those particular circumstances. Mm. Two or three years at the mate, at the club, mate. You you sound as though you've still got a, a love for the club. You sound as though you had some great fun there before you left and walked away in June 2014. Brilliant. Brilliant. I would say that first year and, and, and I'm talking talking, you know, been into a number of major finals league throughout my career. But I've got to say my first year at Wakey was absolutely the most enjoyable in my career. The people that, that I work with, the, the fans around the place, and um, and in particular the playing group, mate, they're just a, a cracking bunch of lads. Along. Tell us about along came France as well at this time. You obviously you were doubling up. Twelve tests with the French, six wins, six losses. Two thousand thirteen World Cup. That must have been a, a nice uh, diversion. Yeah, it, was it? it came around. Yeah, no, it, no, it came around, and I think uh, I think they'd been talking to a couple of coaches, and uh, I think Trent Robinson. Had, had, you know, he he was fairly, uh, I guess, an advisor to people like Carlos, that were the president at the time and all that. And I think Trent had sort of recommended me coming into the World Cup. Uh, went to meet him at Gatwick Airport, I think, flew down, had a meeting at Gatwick Airport, presented some stuff, watched the team a bit. Uh, the World Cup were great. Uh, again, talking about the games that sort of stand out for me, we beat PNG at OKR, and, uh, and it was first test. I'm not a Frenchman, uh, but it were, you know, incredibly emotional. The night before, Remy Casti had got up and, and spoke to the squad as we know with the French anyway, they're, they're very, very passionate people. And uh, and, and we won a tight game, uh, again, PNG, which pretty much sorted as qualification out to get to get to the quarterfinals. We're in a really tough group against Samoa and England. Uh, but the games in France, you know, the full houses and the, the whole World Cup experience were, you know, were, were fantastic. It became really difficult after then. It will, um you know, there were a coup to try and oust the president. Mm -hmm. uh, the relationships with, with Catalan were difficult. You know, they were pulling the players out of the international team. Uh, we were having training facilities pulled from under his feet at the last minute. And and it became it, the off-season then, from, from what were brilliant in the World Cup, the next sort of year or two became a point where, it, you know, it were, almost, it were almost impossible to function properly. Such were the... The magnitude of the the politics going on at, in, at the French level, uh, you know. I know we got we got smashed by England in a test, and you know, I I offered to resign. I just thought this is, you know, they need to get a Frenchman from Catalan's coaching coaching the team to keep to try and keep everybody happy. Such such were the, as I say, the magnitude and the massacations that uh, machinations that were going on in the background. That it was just, yeah, it, it was difficult. Towards the end, but World, World Cup, well, yeah, fantastic experience, and and again, really enjoyed working with the French players and, and had some, you know, good times and good moments during that. Can you speak French? No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna embarrass myself here, but I did it at school, and me and James Webster both had lessons before we uh, before we took the team, so we, we would not try and do preview or, or review in French. On the training field, we could start training, stop training, say, you know, go to 50, 
get me to the middle, come in, listen. But, but most of the guys could speak English anyway. Jerome Gise were an assistant coach who, who was fluent. I think only Morgan and Scarry were, were pretty sketchy with his English back then. So we would uh, we would get Morgan on his own for preview and review. But but what we did try and do, if, if we had a social event at dinner or we were out for a bit, we'd always try and converse as much as we could in, in French then. Um you know, just as a sign of respect and appreciation, really. I would have continued if I would have, if, you know, if it had been working over there, I absolutely would have continued with the lessons. Because uh, having done it at school, we actually did have a bit of a grounding with it. So it wasn't as difficult to get the basics, um, to get the basics, you know, going pretty quickly. Good stuff there. And then you had a bit of a, a sort of bit of downtime after Trinity. Then you found yourself at Warrington. What were your highs and lows of your three years at Warrington? Um, Tony was sort of coming. Tony had, had a fair amount of time there. And you know, first year, they were going through a bit of a, a, a bit of a transition with the team. Uh, second year, we, we got some terrific signings. And Kirk Gidley were a bit of a catalyst for us, really. Uh, won the minor premiership that year. Got to, got to Wembley. And, and the famous Danny Alton tackle. Mm-hmm. I think we've been leading all the way. Uh, they come back late and the famous Danny Alton tackle. And then similar thing happened. We got to Old Trafford, made the grand final and uh, and, and again lost a tight game and blew a couple of chances late on that we, that we might have taken. So it's a really good year by, by, by obviously winning the the league leader shield and, and making both major finals, but but still tinged with disappointment that we didn't bring home, you know, one one of the cups. Uh the the third year, probably one of the worst years of encountered in the game. It, yeah, it was just a really tough year. It were it were a fractured and fractious year throughout the squad. Uh we got it together at the back end and, and we won a number of games going in. But yeah, it were it were a difficult year where we ended up in the middle eights, I think. Uh, which obviously for a club at that side and, and Tony were coming towards the end of his time there. Um, what a, yeah, what a, what a thoroughly unenjoyable year, I must say. Uh, but I saw, I knew fairly, fairly early on that, um, you know, I got an opportunity to go, uh, go work in NRL, you know, told, told Tony, told the club that it was something that I, you know, really wanted to do and take um, and ended up, and you know, I ended up finding my way to Wollongong. Yeah, mate. We we obviously at that time Jamie was travelling, and I went over to see him, and we came down to see you down there, and you showed us round. That looked a great job. Really interesting uh, your time at the Steelers. Yeah, great. Loved it, and 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 lucky that the uh, you know I, I got to coach some some champion kids down there. It's, it's a Wollongong's a great area, uh, but obviously it's a merged club. So so part of my job uh, is that at junior rep level. Uh, they still operate as Illawarra Steelers and, and St George Dragons. So, so I looked after both ends, both in Sydney and, and down in Wollongong. So, so that was great. Wollongong was obviously uh, the more hot than the rugby league and, and stronger rugby playing area. And, and the demographic of, of, of I guess, Cogger and that area is very much changed. So it, it was more of a challenge to get players into, into the St George end. Uh, but we put a lot of time in, into the St George end that year, uh, a lot of time and effort with the coaches uh, and what we did with his recruitment and then the players we got. And I, I just dropped on a, I dropped on a couple of couple of great sides through junior rep level and 
you know, there's a lot of those, a lot of those guys playing in NRL today. I think, I think um, the year I came home, um, the Illawarra team won the SG ball, which was the first time in 25 years. And you know, that sort of came home after pre-season um, and, and followed them all the way through. So they won it, but the, the St. George end, ended up, St. George, and I think we produced three NRL players that year. Jason Saab, who plays for Manly, Cody Ramsey, uh, that the coach is out shipping from uh, from a town of 200 people, Cody. Uh, Kane Bradley, that's that's up at the Cowboys now. But the Illawarra team, or, or the top-end team, the under-18 team, is the guys that there's plenty of them playing first grade now. Jaden Sullivan, Tyrell Sloan, Junior Moan. Um, Remember Luciano Leilua was about as well, wasn't he, Rich? Who's that? Luciano Leilua. Yeah, Luch was still playing a bit first grade then, first and first and reserve grade. Uh, Aaron Shop that plays for the Bulldogs were, were in that team, and there's still a number of kids that are still in and around reserve grade and, and stuff there now. So they were great kids, great kids, talented, super to work with, and. Um, it's just a great age to work with them. It was something that I really enjoyed after obviously being a first grade coach pretty much all my career. To work with kids at that development level, um, and, and you know, I'm talking unbelievably talented kids to try and understand what they do know and what they don't know. Um, don't forget they they play club rugby, but a lot of them go to really strong schools, strong rugby league playing school. You know, Jason Sarr went to Westfields, and if you look at that Westfields team. Uh, you know, it's, it's ridiculous the amount of NRL talent that comes out of sort of Westfield and, and Fairfield perhaps as, as high school teams. You know, they're nearly all contracted players with NRL clubs. Um, so they play, they play a lot, they play a lot of rugby league. You know, if you're if you're a successful rep player, you could be playing, you know, 50 plus games and more, 50 to 60 games a season. Um, so yeah, we we obviously it's not just about coaching the team, we had to put like a high performance program together for them and, and I guess sort of try and get them to understand what what it would be to to be an NRL player and get them to start committing to it then and, and understanding that you know there's a different style of rugby played when you when you get up there and what competing is all about. But yeah, we were a we were a great time. Love working with the coaches, uh the coaches that that were in the junior reps. Uh, but obviously, I worked in the club. Uh, worked with Ian Millward, who who were you know wonderful bloke to work with. Dean Young, Ben Armby, uh, Paul McGregor were the first grade staff. Matty Ed, who I'd coached at Hull, was uh, coaching reserve grade then. Uh, Willie Talau were coaching under twenty. So so again, just great, wonderful part of the world to live. And yeah, I, dro- I dropped on a time where they'd got. a you know, a, a uber talented team, really, like like ridiculously talented team. And you just mentioned it then in the last sentence. What a lovely place to live in Wollongong. You could actually watch the game from the stand and hear the Pacific crashing against the uh, the the, the uh, rocks outside. What a lovely lovely town in Wollongong was. Well, most days I used to park my car up, but you know, you park around the backside of the stadium where the the training pitches. But most days I'd, I'd probably I'd drive up and I'd park up top end near the floodlight. So you carry your car overlooking the ocean. Uh, and if you, you know, if you still leave office because of any phone calls, you just, you know, there'd be dolphins swimming by and people walking. Just just a wonderful, wonderful part of the world. Yeah, very lucky. I'd love to go back someday. Love, love to go back and live there. 
And then uh, talking from Wollongong, man, back to the sunny beaches of Leeds. Tell us about your time at Leeds, and obviously you just just recently ended, but how did it start and how did it develop through there? Um, do you want me to turn the lights on? Am I getting too dark here? <laughs> you can, yeah, we're still How's that? Is that too shiny back? I'm looking to build that end. Yeah, that's better, yeah. You're getting the full experience. Is that better? Spot on. Perfect. Right, we're back, boys. We might have just had to change lighting a little bit there because it's getting dark outside. Um, yeah, Leeds, yeah, came back to do a similar role to what I was doing, um, what we're doing in Australia, which we're really happy about. Obviously, it's such a you know big and wonderful club like Leeds, great setup. Again, good good people working with. Uh, and I was really looking forward to it. And then it all went, it all went wrong. Uh, yeah, they just... Difficult time for him. I think Jimmy Laws left, and uh, I'd started to do some bits for Dave Ferner and Kev behind the scenes, in and around, in just in and around recruitment, really. Um, and then, yeah, just a bit of a shock, really. Dave, Dave ended up losing his job quite unexpectedly. Um, the club were pretty much bottom of the league or bottom two. Uh, and yeah, there was a bit of a crisis on, I would say, an unexpected one. So, look, the, the, there weren't any experienced coaches in, in the building at that time. Um, uh, you know, quite shocked when I got a phone call from Kev to say, Look, we've uh, you know, we, we've sort of released Dave from his duty, released Dave from his duties this morning. Um, you know, but Dave's a good, good guy. Good guy and a really and a really good rugby league coach and and it was a difficult one for me because you know both both guys, both you know, just super fellas and and it would it were really difficult to see what had happened, uh, and and how it had got to that. So uh, I sort of said to Kev, well, what if what if I say no? You know, will, will you look after it temporary? What if I say what happens if I say no? You know, we'll we'll have to do it. And and I just thought you know Kev had got enough on his plate. Uh, the coaching staff at the time were, were pretty inexperienced. So I said, look, I'll, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And you're not rushing into a decision. You can take your time and, and find someone else. Um, didn't think it were a championship winning team, but but probably not a bottom two team either. You know, I still felt that we, we could get the best uh, out of what we've got and, and avoid being in a relegation battle. Uh, but obviously the teams around the bottom Kept, kept winning, so we kept kept them in there. So anyway, we we managed to, I, I think, you know, get a bit of spirit about us and 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 avoid it. And then um, they asked me to stay on for another year, which I was sort of a little bit, yeah, a little bit unsure at the time. But you know, good club. I thought I thought it was positioned all right, and, and it was something that you you could move forward. Um, year after, obviously won the Challenge Cup, which were a you know, special moment for us. Got back in the playoffs. Uh, spoke to him about doing it again the year after, which again, I'm like, oh. uh, but, but did it again. Uh, yeah, the year after were tough. We, we were riddled with, uh, riddled with injuries and difficulties in our halves. Uh, managed to get a game away from the grand, grand final. I think Saints knocked us out of both comps. Um, so to get, you know, get to the penultimate game, given the adversity that we, we'd faced, um, you yeah, were, were a good effort. They, they really stuck together, and then uh, and then this year, yeah, I, 
you know, I spoke a lot on this and, and probably spoke a lot on, uh, you know, on the media. I know when I went on, on television the other day, they sort of asked me a bit about it. I'm just really respectful to the people that are in there at the moment. So I think best way I can describe it is, uh, yeah, there were plenty going on. Uh, there were, you know, a lot going on inside the club and it were just battles that I, I just felt, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to win these battles. Uh, I'd already said it was going to be last year. You know, I spoke about actually changing over in the off-season. Uh, guys said, look, will you do one more year? Um, and, you know, I said, look, ultimately, if I'm not getting the best out of the players, uh, I had a conversation with Gary that he was quite prepared to start changing the team, but I, but I didn't think that was right. You know, I just I just thought that's a that's a that's a decent team, um, and that's a team that is more than capable of doing all right this year. I thought it was wrong to start carving the team up, knowing that I was going to be going at the end of the year, uh, and that the team still got a chance to achieve. But as I say, and and you know, we'll keep it at this. There were a lot going on. There were a lot going on, so uh, so yeah, I decided to to stand aside, and and I think the kid that's come in's done a yeah done a fantastic job. You could see your demeanour changing, couldn't you? Obviously, we watched the games. On your interviews at the end of every Sky game, you could see you fading bit by bit as the as the season went on. Um, they've been a they've been a really good group to coach for two and a half years. You know, it always has its ups and downs, uh, but they've been really really good bunch of lads and fantastic for two and a half years but you know there were a change in the room you know there were, there were undoubtedly there were a change in the room you know I, 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 I didn't sense it I saw it you know I, I saw it I knew it uh, and as I say I just felt you know without I don't want to go into detail you know and and, and part of me sort of now watching them go alright is <laughs> I'm so, so this I knew they were a good team in there. You know, I, I thought I, I haven't got this that wrong that that's not a good rugby league team. I, I'm certain it was. Uh, but I look at my time really fondly there. You know, I got it in a in really tough, difficult circumstances. You know, the idea of Lee Dryer was getting relegated, uh, unf unfathomable, really. Uh, but along the way, you know, we uh, we promoted some kids, two or three young kids that that we sort of promoted and stuck with. Have gone on to be internationals, you know, some of his recruitment, you know, got Cruz Lima into the club, he'd gone on to be an international, uh, won a trophy along the way. Uh, again, blooded some more kids, uh, sort of next generation. And, and even though they had a tricky start to this year, I thought probably left them, you know, left the roster in a, certainly a better position than what I found it and got back in the playoffs and, you know, picked a challenge cup up at Wembley as well. So, I uh, don't regret doing it, but but being a longer term head coach was something that um, after making that transition and going to to the NR to the job at St George, you know, I, I just not got a strong enough desire to to be an head coach for another ten years. I, it's just not uh, where I think my strengths lie in the game. I'm happy to be back as an assistant coach, and you know, I'd never rule out doing a pathways job again. Really enjoyed that time, but but I think. Uh, being a head coach, you know, is is an extremely difficult job that I think you'd know you, you've got to want to do it and got to be cut out for it. And and I think I know my time, my time with certain players in that group had, had definitely come. 
We've interviewed many players, Rich, who played through 2020 and the COVID restrictions. What were it like to coach through that period? Terrible. Yeah, terrible. We, we went we went without seeing them for a long time. We weren't allowed to train. Uh, and, and I said this when, when I sort of left Leeds because I felt, you know, from taking over from Dave in those circumstances and fighting a relegation battle, so then going through the COVID, I think when COVID happened, we you know we, we were second in the comp, playing great stuff, and then all of a sudden we hadn't played for six months. We had, we had six months off, and then then we ended up we ended up as a competition having a, a massive amount of games in such a short space of time, and the guys had not trained properly for for, for so long. You know they all trained on their own, but it's just so hard to replicate. And I just thought, I just thought. The impact that that had, you know, the pay cuts going on, which again, when I talk about what I talked about earlier, your instability. And then, and then I found my third year at Leeds. We never got the same team on the on the park two weeks running because of you know all the all the issues we had around that. It was a really really challenging period. But the COVID period, you know, around the pay cuts, around the uncertainty, around the impact that having time off and the impact that coming back and playing so many games in sh- such a short space of time, uh, you you couldn't train and prepare for games properly. You were literally going into games and having three or four days off and then going into another game. Um, the atmosphere wore a novelty for a week or two where, you know, there's no sound so you can hear. But I can remember when crowds came back, the, the team ran out to warm up and, and obviously the cheer went at the South Stand and it was a restricted game. And everybody choked up. <laughs> you know, everybody had missed the, the crowd and the atmosphere that much. Uh, but, but you know, as, as a game, we had to keep the game going, didn't we? You know, we had, we had to keep the game going. Such were those, you know, strange and difficult times. So, yeah, it was uh, it, it a, a, a really challenging and different period for the sport, I just hope it's one that we never have to go through again. And at Leeds, just rounding off Leeds, you didn't have a bad record, really. You coached 71 times and won 37, lost 34. So you've got an above 50% uh, win ratio there. Uh, yeah, I think I think, I think think this year, as I say, for two and, two and a half, might have been more years, you know, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was challenging, but very, very challenging because of some of the circumstances that I've talked about. Uh, but I'm probably not going to let four or five weeks at the end dampen what would have, you know, what would have great experience and, and got to coach, you know, one of the greatest clubs in, in the history of the game and, and coach them in a cup final. So, uh, yeah, like I say, I'm not going to let four or five weeks and and some of the, you know, some of the issues that, that happened around there sort of dampen what have been a... Uh, you know, a thoroughly proud and enjoyable experience for me. And like, you you said earlier, you wouldn't have known how many uh, games you played. Have you any any idea how many games you coached at first grade? No, no idea. 297. Oh, really? Yeah, and that's that includes starting at York in 2004, have your, your Leeds time, the, uh, finishing at Leeds this year. Bear in mind, you had a lot of seasons as uh, an assistant as well at Hull at Warrington. 297 games, mate. 143 wins, 152 losses. And you didn't have a great ratio at Trinity, but that's not bad to look back on. Uh, yeah. 
never looked at it. Never looked at it. I know that's that's my thing, mate. That's what I do. I I I well, I'm trying to work. I'm trying to work out in my head three and a half seasons at Hull and three years at Warrington as, as an assistant. Another six and a half seasons. How many games that that totals in all? So yeah, it's been it's been, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. I hope the best is yet to come. <laughs> Can you pick a day out, mate? Obviously, you started playing Featherstone Rovers in 1991. We sat here 30, 31 years later. If I had to ask you, was the one day in rugby league that you could rewind to and say that was it? That was my best day in rugby league. There's a lot to pick from. You got any? Nah, nah. It's hard to to distinguish. You know, as I talked about this, the first season at Warrenfield, what hundred percent one of the most enjoyable ones. I think coaching my first Test match for France uh, in in that World Cup. That's one that sticks out. Obviously, Cup finals stick out. I think I think the one at Cardiff again leads the atmosphere and everything surrounding it. I think. Uh, Qualifying for a grand final for Hull, you know, Hull had not been to a grand final before, and and I think that was a special moment. You know, Peter Sharp still to this day, uh, he's probably one of my best mates in rugby league, and and to do it with him, um, and, and the first time for Hull, I think we played Bradford at home in the semi final, and we we had a great year. We had a, a great year. Finished second. It started tough. John John Kerr had been uh, moved on, and quite a shock at the start of that year and, and we'd had a really, really poor start, but we rallied in, in a winning run. I think we beat Bradford at home. Uh, and I remember that was really emotional because it, it was Peter's sort of first final as a head coach too, uh, which had come sort of fairly late in his career, you know, so really tough for him. Um, uh, it's hardly, it's, it's, it's really, really hard. Do you keep any memorabilia from your career? Uh, yes and no. So I did, but I've started to give it all away. Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes and no. Um, uh, I give me Wembley medal to uh, Statsman. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Me. Yeah. uh, just a great guy, James Bletsall, and he he works incredibly hard and is such an unsung hero. At, at, at that place, um, and it, and he's someone that I guess sometimes gets overlooked. You know, when when the when the plaudits are about, and uh, I just I just came off and felt I don't I don't think he got a medal in the presentation, and just you know came off and gave him the medal straight away. Uh, I got one. You know, I've got I've got one from when I won at Hull, mm-hmm. and I've got my dad's old ones too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. You know, quite quite happy to sort of pass that on. Um, no, no, I've started sort of. I think what happens, Lee, is they end up being dust collectors. You know, you might get a shirt framed, and or I had a bag in the loft that got you know all these shirts from you know whether from Challenge Cup finals or Grand Finals or, or uh, Championship finals that I played in, and they never saw the light of day. So whether that's whether it be for a charity or for a special person or a special reason, sort of pass it on. And it, and if it can go to a good cause or a good arm or raise some money now, I've sort of, I've still got bits, but but given, I've given plenty away. Sorry, where's your Jewsby shirt? That one we had with the press studs in, the grand final 2000. I took the press studs out, yeah, I took my press <laughs> yeah. studs out. I remember you doing it. 
I can't believe we got us grand final shirts that we put together with Prestons in. <laughs> Everybody's Prestons out with a pair of players night before game. Yeah. Uh, where's that? Uh, oh, no, no, that's in the frame in the garage. That's in the oh, garage. Wonderful, is it? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sort of waiting for my bar to get built in my garden, but that'll never happen either. Uh, <laughs> so I've still got that one. I've still got. I've still got the one. Yeah, that one from 2000. Still got it. Good stuff. As we start winding down, mate, you've had a great career, you've got a lot great life and great career in the game. Are you a strong character? Because you've had some ups and downs. Do you feel as though you're a strong character mentally through all this? Yeah, I think you've got to put it into context, Lee, haven't you? Because I think if you're going to be in the game for what, 300 games, but if you're talking as an assistant, you're probably going to nearly 500, aren't you? you know, 500 games and 20 seasons and then play 200, it ain't, you're not going to spend your entire career in, in the top three or four, are you? You know, and, and you learn as much out of the the difficult times as, as you do out of the good times. Um, so, no, are you a stronger character? I, I think experience counts for a lot. I think you get a little bit, bit less ruffled. You better get a bit more comfortable in your decisions. A couple of times in my career, even with this last lead one, I think sometimes you make you make strong decisions, and strong decisions, if they're done for the right reasons, tend to tend to pay you back. And uh, I, I feel fortunate that I'm probably at a point in my life where I can make decisions what suit me. You know, I think it's different. It's, I think it's vastly different to when I was coaching Hall, and I, I think I was the youngest head coach in Super League at that time, in, in probably one of the hardest jobs. I think it's really different then as a, as a young coach in your early 30s and, you know, you're in your first job and, and you're fighting for your career at times and, um, you know, you've got different responsibilities in terms of family and mortgages and, and stuff like that. I think I think there's times like that where they're, they're, they're more difficult, but I think, you know, 20 years down the track and experiences, good experiences, bad experiences... I think I think you know in the social media age now, mm. I think that gets more difficult. It's not something that I you know I would ever look at buy into. You know you know about stuff that was off, but I, I just think that you know people that want to read into some of that and buy into that, it, it it's folly because a lot of it's not real. You know, there's some really good stuff comes out of it and goes on it but there's also a lot of really bad stuff that that is just probably not actually quite reflective of um you know the full version of events and i think it's really hard for players and i think i think you know the whole mental health issues surrounding the game now i think it's very very difficult for players that 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 cop for a load of that i think it's a bit different as coaches i think coaches are a little bit of a different breed of people anyway aren't they in terms of what they have to, you know, what they have to go through um, and, and sort of encounter and, and navigate along the way. But I think uh, I think it's really difficult for young players now when when they're exposed to a, you know, to a lot of that, and it and it can be it can be really really dangerous. Am I stronger? Uh, look, I'm I'm still here. I, I've had you know I had a couple of offers to go down at NRL this time. So I feel, you know, I feel, you know, re really lucky that um, I've, I've been in game and, and around a sport that I love and, and I'm going to get opportunity to do something completely, you know, new and different this time around. Um, 
but as I say, you're at a point in your life where I think experience counts for a lot and probably get a little, little bit less rattled and phased, uh, but also you're more comfortable that if you've got to make a strong decision, you know, you just make it. Good stuff, mate. Just last question. Uh, obviously, I mentioned it earlier. The last few days of your last few weeks of your uh, Leeds career, the smile disappeared off your face, but it's come back again, mate. You've got a good family. You've got a great, great girl by your side. Great kids. Are you a happy bloke these days now? Uh, yeah, I'm the ups and downs, like like everybody. <laughs> I think, I think, I think. Look, I think being in professional sport that you know that that, that challenges anyone. You know, and I, and I said my time at Leeds. There was just never a straightforward point. It, it was, you know, from start to finish, it was, it, it were, it, you know, the time, the term I used at the time, it was a very attritional period through, through relegation, through, through COVID battles, through injury battles, um, and yeah, that, that that I think I think after so long that took a little, that did take a little bit of a, uh, a toll on me energy towards the end. You know, I, I think. There might have been a time in the right, you know, I'm, I'm going to sort all this out, but there were a point where I'm like, now some battles there, you know, I'm, ju I'm just not going to win these battles. So I'm not even going to try wasting my energy fighting them. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and it sounds silly, but I believed in the team. I really believed in the team. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, there's always challenges that, that get thrown up. You know, moving to the team is going to be, be a, be a challenge in, in some ways for for all around us, um, but I've had, you know I've had a I've, I've had a life that I wouldn't swap for all the ups and downs. I think there's never not going to be downs as long as the ups, and I think um, I, I sort of know that I don't want to you know I don't want to be be like Tim Sheens coaching at seventy year old. I, I think I'll you know I really know when my my time is up and. And I'll be able to look back on the game really fondly, knowing that you know I've I've experienced you know Wembley, Old Trafford, World Cups, different countries. Um, you know, enjoyed my time as a player, met some great people uh, along the way, been all over the world with it. So, so you know, I've I've had a very uh, rewarding and, and diverse time in rugby league, and, and as I say. You know, over the course of whatever 600 games, whatever it is, mm. playing coaching, there's going to be some rough with this move in there. And uh, I think you handle, you know, experience, you just learn, learn to handle the, the rougher times uh, a little bit easier than, than what you maybe did, you know, 20 years ago. Great stuff. This is the last question, I promise. Obviously, listening to your story, like I've known already, you're a rugby league nut, so your whole life's been rugby league. What do yep. you do away from rugby league? Have you got any interests away? How do you chill and just get rugby league out of your system? Um, what well, changed? I used to play cricket. I used to play cricket when I was a young bloke. Um, but obviously, uh, rugby league, rugby league moving to summer sort of stopped that. So, you know, I were, I were an avid, avid cricketer in the local leagues for a while. Um, yeah, not a lot. Probably changed over the years. Man, I, I walk down to my local pub and have a pint with guys that are nothing to do with rugby league. Mm -hmm. Really, and that's 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 what I do. I like to travel, you know, a bit like yourself. I know you're a you're an avid traveller and see different parts of the world. So I like to, uh, you know, I like to travel, go see different cities, 
uh, have different experiences in different countries, uh, stuff like that, which, which again, pandemic, that sort of stopped all that a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm 51 next, so, uh, um, you, know, you know, as a player, I didn't mind a night out. <laughs> under <laughs> the night out uh but but that's you know uh, that sort of that sort of all all changed a little bit really so uh outside of rugby league yeah just things what everybody else does mate a bit, bit of travel like to get out for a feed and have a beer here and there but yeah that, that's about it mate catch up with friends Brilliant, mate. Mate, I always I could listen to you all night long. You've got stories galore. Um, we've had two hours. Um, I think it's one of the longest podcasts we've done. But uh, you've had a brilliant career, mate. Oh dear, I hope nobody. They'll be switching off, mate, won't they? Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, yeah, it's been brilliant. Thanks for joining us, mate. I always love listening to your stories, and I always love your company. So we'll just hand it back to Jamie to to wind down. Brilliant. Thank you, everybody, for participating in the fans' questions and listening to episode 56 of the Wakefield Trinitarities podcast. You can find us on podcasting platforms worldwide and on Facebook and Twitter under the Wakefield Trinitarities banner. Massive thank you once again to my co-host, Lee Robinson. Thank you once again to Richard Agar. I have been Jamie Robinson, and we will catch you all down the road. Hi, it's Cammy Tris Gamara. You have been listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. It's unbelievable!